This week on the podcast, I have an extra special guest. David Hyatt is the co-founder of Hyatt Denim. He also founded Howie's, the outdoor clothing company in 1995, which he then sold to Timberland. Howie's was cited as the sixth most recession-proof company in the UK at the time. We could all use a little bit of that wisdom right now. He is what I would call a business philosopher. I had this whole plan outlined for the way the interview was going to go. So we start the interview and my structure just gets completely derailed because we went off in a complete tangent, started talking about purpose and meaning and how we should build our lives around the things that we really care about. We discuss, where do we start? Um, his start in the ad agency world, he got frustrated with his career because he didn't want to sell sugar water anymore and wanted to do something a little bit more meaningful with his life. Uh, we discussed the reason why we need purpose. He says the reason why people spend their whole lives making a, a billion dollars and then spending, spending the rest of their lives giving it away is because they didn't get any meaning from making that money in the first place. We talk about how people get seduced by fast growth. Everyone's in a rush these days to build a business quickly and take VC money. His advice is to build something slowly. You're not going to build anything with great significance if you do it quickly. We also discuss how we built Hyatt Denim, not with a viral social marketing campaign, not with amazing advertising, not with influencers, but with a simple email newsletter, of all things. Uh, we talked about his books, mentors, successes. Uh, this is just a masterclass in just growing successful businesses. Stick around for our favorite questions at the end of the interview where he discusses his mentors, specifically Paul Arden. If you only listen to one podcast this year, this is the podcast to listen to. So without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with David Hyatt. David Hyatt is the co-founder of Hyatt Denim and the Do Lectures. He is building them into influential global brands. The quest for Hyatt is to get 400 people their jobs back in a small town that used to have Britain's biggest jeans factory. He's also the author of three books, Do Purpose, Do Open and Path of the Doer. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. David Hyatt, welcome to Agency Dealmasters. Well, yeah, I'm really pleased to be here, and uh, um, yeah, I'm excited to have a chat. So, I'm, I'm, yeah, thank you, thank you for being on the show. Uh, I'm such a huge fan. You've had such a fascinating career. I've read two of your books, love, love them both, um, and your podcast, The Do Lectures, is is also fascinating as well. It, it was actually Bernadette Jua that prompted me to reach out and and, and get in touch. We were talking about the importance of purpose at the time and brands that have a lot of that that orient themselves around purpose and your name came up um how how do you know Bernadette Jiwa um I, I think maybe just um yeah by doing both maybe maybe Hyatt you know the do and and before that Howie's where I mean a big part of what we you know have been doing what we are doing is all about story and um, I think probably almost no one on the planet knows you know, um, story as well as Bernadette. And, mm. and I think we did something through uh, Seth Godin. Um, sure. So, um, but yeah, she's she's sort of um, been you know like on our radar for all. Super fascinating. Well, well, let's go back to the beginning of of your career because you got you've had a fascinating career journey. You attended Bristol Poly, and your LinkedIn just says didn't make it into the second year uh is this the plan that you always had for your career is this the way you always saw your career panning out well i mean uh, i think i mean uh i mean the plan for me was definitely to try and get into the second year i was on such a block <laughs> uh, um and I, the problem was i was having too good a time and and uh i kind of forgot that you had to go and attend lectures <laughs> and various things and I think we made a strategic error. Uh, a week before the exams, we we sent uh, all the lecturers a postcard saying we would be back from Paris um, before the exams start. I think that was a strategic error because uh, I think all four of us who went to Paris and had good fun, um, we all um, you know, either had to reset. Didn't make it. <laughs> 
Super fascinating. Super fascinating. Well, let's talk a little bit about higher Denim, your your mission uh, for hire is to get 400 people their jobs back, as we said, in a small town in Wales. And that used to have Britain's biggest jeans factory. Why is that purpose so close to your heart? Well, I'll tell you the story um, and the backstory to this was we'd sold, myself and Claire had sold Howie's to Timberland. And for whatever reason, that, that didn't work out. Um, so we were in between you know, the next project. And I felt that I felt pretty burnt out after uh, Howie's because Mm. um, I felt like we'd half done and completed the mission. And for whatever reason, um, you know, we'd gone and sold it. Not really, you know, for money, truly. It was more for, you know, like their world experience. And you know, taking us global, and and for whatever reason, that just didn't go as planned. And so, so I sort of left Howie's, and I felt like mm, I felt pretty beaten up. And uh, I was actually probably, if I was being honest, pretty. I felt pretty low about things because I couldn't actually blame anyone other than myself. Hmm. Um, yeah, and and the reason purpose was important to me for Hyatt was. I was asking myself, did I want to really, truly go and run around the same track twice? Hmm. And and if you're going to go and run around the same track twice, you have to really, truly know why you want to do it. And hmm. and the answer was, I didn't really want to do it for myself because that wasn't actually a big enough reason. And so... When somebody said to me, "Going, yeah, but David, you're not doing it for yourself. You're doing it to get a town making jeans again." That was the like that was the moment where I just went, "Oh, yeah, I can do it for for the town." Hmm. And um, and I think the the reason purpose is important is you're doing something far bigger than yourself. You know, your tiny little ego has to get out of the way in order to do something really important. Hmm. And uh, and for me. You know, purpose is this secret fuel and it allows you to go against, um, you know, the big companies and and it allows you at some point to um, keep going when, you know, all the odds say that you should give up. Um, and it's this, it's this galvanizing grit mm. and, uh, and people just go, oh, you know, purpose is so overdone. I'm going like, you know, like if you're running a business, you have to know why. You can couch in any word you want, but that thing isn't going to go away. That thing isn't going to go away in a decade. That's not going to go away in a hundred years. People will always have to know why they are doing something because that makes them powerful. Hmm. So many places we can go with this. So is that because we all have this yearning for meaning and significance? I mean, yeah. If you look at if if you look at sort of the way that people have over the years have moved away from established religion and sort of brands have moved in to really fill that void in many years. You look at Nike and Adidas and yeah, yeah. Apple and all of these organisations that are meaning sim- symbols in the world. Where where is that need for purpose and significance come from? Is it is it sort of inbuilt into the core of who we are as human beings? Well, I think I mean. You know, we have you know, the same six human needs, and and one of them is you know like um, fulfillment. Now, the reason people go and make a billion dollars and then have to try and work out how to give it away because they didn't get enough satisfaction in making it, hmm. and so 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 they get fulfillment by giving it away because actually the making of it didn't actually fulfill them. It didn't hmm. satisfy them, and and I think it is deep rooted. It is a core you know, human need, and and so, and that's why this thing isn't going away. And and then people go, oh, it's just marketing spin. You go, like being a human, you know, you are made up of six human needs, and that is definitely one of them, and it's not going to go away. Hmm. However, there there are those brands that who do use it as marketing spin. Um, there are a lot of brands that are very genuine, and have purpose at the core of their business model and, and who they are, but there are some that just tag it on. And sometimes that's where the cynicism comes from. 
Yeah, and the, the, I mean, but we have to be really grateful for smart uh, customers. Hmm. Because actually, you know, they're bullshit detectors on another level now. And the kids, <laughs> uh, I mean, I remember watching a talk by Gary Vinchak and he said, like, you know, the kids, you know, bullshit detectors are, you know, like 10 times your uh, BS detectors. Mm-hmm. And, and they will always be the ones that try and either greenwash something mm-hmm. or try and make you believe something that they're truly not. But the customer is too smart now. Hmm. And, and there's no place to hide. And you go, and you know, they can put a nice filter on Instagram, but you know what? The truth is out there. So. Hmm. I, I was speaking to, um, I interviewed um, the two agency owners, Jess and Nat from Mac and Moore recently. And she was quoting an author who said, I, you know, I asked her why is purpose, they're, they're a purpose built agency that only work with brands that are doing some, some good in the world. And I asked her what, why is it important that, purposes at the forefront of what you do and she says that um she's completely happy when her brain heart and gut totally align yeah, yeah. and i think that goes back to what you were saying about fulfillment yeah uh, and our yearning for that yeah and um, we like like when you're at home on a sunday night and you have to go to work on the monday morning and mm. And if something in your body tells you, you go, oh, I just so <laughs> don't want to do that. That's telling you you're mm. doing something that isn't important to you. Mm. That, you know, you're not, you're not fully alive. And, and, and I'm there going, if there's any success in life you know, for what we've done is, by and large, we spend most of our time on the things that we really care about. And and we're able to say, no, actually, I don't want to do that. And so we end up not doing things um, that we don't want to do. Most people spend pretty much all week doing things they don't want to do. Mm. And, and that's the biggest sadness of all. Mm. So by the time they get to the weekend, they just go, oh, oh yeah, they live for the yeah. weekend. I'm going, yeah. you're, you're five days short. It's horrible. It's absolutely painful. Yeah. Have Have you ever had to do that, by the way? And oh, no, 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 how? No. Yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, I you know, in the early days of advertising, actually, uh, I was in love with it because um, I was learning so much, and uh, I was, you know, twenty-one years old. I was in you know the world's you know most creative advertising agency. I mean, I, I was a copywriter. I couldn't spell. I didn't know what a colon was. I thought it was a disease. So semi- <laughs> semicolon was a complication, and um, so I was full of learning. So, yeah, I mean, and learning from the best was pretty exciting. Um, but once you got really good at it, towards the end, I'm just going. Ah, oh, I actually don't want to sell sugar water. Hmm. I don't want to use those skills that I hmm. have now to do something I don't care about, and I'm hmm. morally not really comfortable with. So. So with that, you know, so so then you go, you that's the point where you have to get out of advertising, where you go, I don't want to do that. I, I don't mm-hmm. want to sell products I don't want to, I, I, I can't be happy with, I can't believe in. And 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 I, I think that, you know, that's where, you know, advertising is pretty interesting because a lot of people go and leave and start things they really do care about. Mm. Mm. Super fascinating. Well, well, let's talk a little bit about how you built Hyatt, Hyatt Denim into the global brand that it is today on the back of a newsletter specifically, because I, um, oh, yeah. I read your book, <laughs> oh, yeah. Do Open. This is such a fascinating book. I just love the way that you write and your sense of art and, and, and direction. But you say in the book, for me, the newsletter is the most important tool you have in building a global uh, denim brand, second only to the sewing machine. So when social media and PPC and advertising is out there as channels, yeah. why focus your marketing around a newsletter? Yeah, and I think it's we all have fallen in love with social media, and you know we've all been seduced by it. And and they are incredible tools, by the way. Um, they're just not they're just not the most powerful tool. And the the thing I love about um, I'll tell you a story. Like we launched Hyatt and we were in every newspaper pretty much in Britain. And, and so it was a fantastic launch. And and so it couldn't have gone 
better. Apart from we couldn't make enough jeans. <laughs> and so we had six months worth of orders in the first month. And and where they're going and and those are nice problems to have, but nice problems can still cause stress and, mm. and they still need to be solved. And so at the time I was going, Oh my gosh, this is like terrible. People are gonna have to wait six months for a pair of jeans, our jeans, even as good as they are. That's a long time. And so what I did was I said I'll go and close the website and that will allow me time to go and hire more makers and we can get all these back orders out. And mm. and Lord knows what I was thinking about because I would never do that now. But um, uh, because then in you know three or four months later when we finally got all those jeans done, I, I reopened the website and something completely remarkable, Crickets. like literally... <laughs> Everyone in the world either had jeans or forgotten about they wanted jeans from us. Right, right. And so there was like this, there was this like nothingness when you go, sure. oh my God. And uh, it was panic. Complete. Yeah. Completely. And, yeah. And I, I sort of, in that moment, I just went, I sat down, I literally went in the room, I'm going, oh my God, I've just hired all these amazing people. Oh and, I, and I'd convinced them to come and work for me. Yeah. I, I'm like 14 days away from trying to pay all the wages. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I've done a really good, good job of doubling my costs and Great. taking all my sales away. <laughs> Great. Which, which um, you know, that somebody Smart really move. experienced, um, you know, takes a long time to do that. Um, sure. So, so I kind of sat down and I went, I spend 80% of my time on social media and it brings in 20% of my sales. And I spend 20% of my time on my newsletter and it brings in 80% of my sales. And hmm. I went, in that moment, I just went, I need to flip that. And and the great thing is, you know, a crisis can be a really great editor. Hmm. I can't spend 80% of my time on this thing because it's only actually producing 20% of my results. Hmm. I need to spend 80% of my time on the thing that's giving me 80% of the result. And that was my newsletter and i just i i literally just went right i'm gonna go really good at it mm. i went on I, I that night i went on amazon and i i there was about three books amazon's got hundreds of books on everything sure and it was three books on newsletter <laughs> nobody nobody gives a shit about newsletter isn't it fascinating yeah and i was there going so i bought one of the books and then you know it arrived next day and you know when like um, a photocopier is running out of ink yeah you, you know and it's, it was reading this book, and I'm going, oh, my God, it looks, like, uh, terrible. And and I know all this stuff already. And I'm going, who who's who's the person who knows more sure. than me? Sure. That's all I had to find. I had to find somebody who was three months, six months ahead of me. And and there wasn't anybody on Amazon. I'm just going, wow, well, that was really odd. So I just went, right, okay. I'll, my instinct was to not just to sell, even though I was desperate, I thought the best relationships of all, if you think back to your friends, your best friends, they're always uh, there to help you. They're always there to share things. They're always there. You know, they, show, they don't want from you every time. And, and my thing was when we were going to do the newsletter, we would have you know, that thing in mind where we, we want to inspire, we want to help. And, and when we have a you know, chance to go and sell some jeans, then we'll be really clear and we won't hide in humor. And we're just going, hey, today we've got a short run. There's only 150. Um, they go pretty quick. Buy the gene. Or mm. if you're not in the market for genes today, thank you very much for your time. Mm. And and actually, so we built that thing. Every At that point, everything that we did was all about the newsletter. And the great thing is all our competition didn't care about it. Hmm. Totally and, ignored you. So, and, and they're just going, oh, yeah, I'm a bit worried, my, worried about my feed on Instagram. I'm going, yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, you should really spend more time on it. Uh, Amazing. And, and, I, and I, I'm there going, and yeah, and I look. I mean, the thing is, you know, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook—they're all incredible tools. But I can tell you this: if if all those tools went away, I would still have a business. If you took email mm. away, I wouldn't have a business. Mm. And if you're a direct to consumer brand, you will get this. You will know mm. the truth of it is the truth is 
is most brands are just preoccupied with looking cool. Mm. And, and and therefore they spend all the time over on these incredible social media motorways in the sky and they're mm. incredible. They're just not the best tool of all. Mm. And and nobody cares you know, there are no no launch parties for mm. I'm launching a newsletter today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And nobody who does newsletters is on on Fast Company. No one's on Wired magazine. And I'm just going, and and it's completely like no one talks about it. I'm going great. That's going to allow me to win. (laughs) But now what you've done is you've written a whole book telling your competition how to do it. Yeah, I mean maybe that was that. um, (laughs) But I always kind of think like the thing for me has always been. When I walked down the 27 steps on Howie's, I was feeling a bit heartbroken because I, you know, I felt like we'd half finished the mission. And and I didn't want anyone else to feel like that because I felt pretty, I put everything into it. And I felt now it's, you know, it's now owned by somebody who really doesn't care about it that much. Mm. And, and, and I thought for my fellow founders, I'm going, I'm going to do trying everything I can for you to keep control of your company because no one is going to care as much as you do. No mm. one. Apart from mm. your mum, maybe. Um, maybe. Uh, that, go, that goes without saying. Yeah. Um, super fascinating. So so you say, you write in the book that we should optimize for loyalty. So you say, quote, your job is to be a custodian of a long-term relationship and the best way to have a long-term relationship is to stop thinking short-term Think about how you would build a relationship over 10 years, which I think is super, a super fascinating way of thinking about your business because most people are in it for the short term. Um, how does that change? How has that thinking changed the way that you've built your brands? Well, this is what I see. And I'm in West Wales, so I don't see it. I don't get to meet as many founders uh, as I'd like to. But when I do go to you know conferences and uh, or you know back in the day when you know conferences happened, it was I'd see these people like young founders, and I could tell which ones had VC money, and I can mm. tell which ones didn't. Mm. And the ones with the VC money looked scared, and and they had like this you know the lights you know shining in their eyes. Oh my God, what am I doing? What am I doing? And and they've taken fast money hmm. and and fast money doesn't build like incredibly powerful brands it builds things very quickly um and the, you know the question is like will they last as long i don't know but i just feel like you know vc money is messing hmm. up messing the heads of founders and it's it's going, it's going, oh, here's a quarter million, here's a half million, go and grow your mm. business. By the way, you missed your metric. Um, you're going to have to try and compromise. And I think if you look at a tree, the really strong trees right, grow slowly. Mm. And and the, the fast trees, like pine trees, they grow very quickly. And, and so, but actually, you know, like an oak tree can't be rushed. Like hmm. it's literally, it takes more time to build something solid. Hmm. And, and I think like, you know, the VCs of this world, like, you know, like everyone's in a rush. Oh, I'm going to go and flip this in three years time. I'm going, Why don't you just build something with patience? What happened to patience? Do you mean like, hmm. where did patience go? Hmm. And, and yeah, yeah. I love, um, you know, Amazon prime as much as next one. I love my book tomorrow. But you're not going to build your business. You're not going to build your brand. You're not going to build anything with any great meaning you know, in three years. I can tell you that now. It mm. just doesn't happen. And and so, like, I, I think it's a missing ingredient. Um, everybody wants it you know, overnight. Everybody wants it super quick. And it just doesn't happen that way. If you're going to do anything meaningful, if you're going to do anything great, it takes love and it takes mm. time and it takes patience. Mm. And that... All those things are in short supply. Mm, they are. And I guess it's even, it's exacerbated by the fact that those 
success stories that have happened overnight are the ones that are on the front cover of Fast Company, the Fast cover of Forbes. Those are the success stories that people, the VC, the young uh, sort of tech entrepreneur points to and says, I want to be like that because in six months time, I could be Kevin Systrom or, you know, whoever. But the vast majority of success stories in entrepreneurship and business take a long time. What is it, the 10-year overnight success that everyone talks about? Yeah, yeah. 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 completely agree and with I you. Think it, it, it's, you know, like the, the people put those people on the front covers because they're freaks, right? They've, mm. they've played the odds and they've won. But most people, you go, I'm afraid to say this, and, and it's like, you you know, go and build something. It's going to take you a decade, <laughs> and and people just don't want to know that. And, it's not appealing, is it? And mm. it's like, and you know, the, the tortoise and the hare fable is everybody, even though they know the tortoise, sure, wins, everybody wants to be the hare, sure, and and so they chase quick wins. They want the short victory. You know, they want to knock the ball out of the park, and big wins are incredibly rare. Small wins each day are very common. Mm. And so which one, you know, which one do you want to go and play? You know, like, mm. and and I know founders who, oh yeah, I'm going to get this, you know, series A funding, I'm going to get this. And, and they never do. Mm. And, and, they, and they're chasing this false victory. Mm. And whereas, I'm just going in each day. I'm just saying, I wonder if I could get better today than I was yesterday. That would <laughs> yeah. be pretty cool if I could. Because if I do that compounded yes. over a 10-year period, I'm going to beat them. But right, but right now, they're funded and they've got all, you know, all the, you know, the tools. And I'm not funded and I'm just going. So they're ahead of me and, mm. and I'm okay with it. Mm. And I wish them well. I don't want them to fail at all. But... I know that you know big wins are incredibly rare. Mm, super fascinating. Have you ever read um, Jim Collins' book Great by Choice? It's his um, third one um, after Good to Great. But um, in it, he has a principle called the Five Mile March, where he looks at all of these great leaders and great great businesses, and he says, without fail, without exception. All of the exceptional ones do this thing called five mile marching, which essentially is they set a goal, a short term goal, and they they basically get a stick, throw it into the into the field, and then go towards that stick, and then pick up the stick again, throw it into the field, and then so it's this kind of incremental yeah. plodding, um, plodding their way to success. It's not sort of fast growth at all because that's the most fragile thing. Yeah. Um, and it's, you, know, that, you know, if you grow 20% a year, um, you know, for 20 years, you're going to have one hell of a company. But I can tell you this now, you grow 300, 400% for a couple of years, A, you're going to be stressed to your eyeballs and back. Um, but the, also the truth is that company is much more likely to fail than the 20% one. Hmm. And, and people get seduced by growth. I mean, and I was seduced by it when I was first doing Howie's. I didn't know how to slow the growth down. And now I've got much more patience, but I've learned it. And and Mr. Collins is a genius. And I mean, his his really brilliant book is, you know, The Flywheel. I'd recommend Mm. that book. That's his shortest Mm. one. But that concept of the flywheel Mm -hmm. is a brilliant one where, Mm. you know, you know, for us at Hyatt, we've just gone, well, if we're going to be the world's lowest impact gene, you know, that's our flywheel. And, and that keeps on, well, if we did this, then we'd do this. And then if we did this, we'd do this. And you know, people don't understand if you can get 1% better a day. Yeah. And you do that for an entire year. I think yeah. it's something like 3,800%. It, it, it's exponential. Yeah. Yeah. And you suddenly go chase the small wins. Like mm-hmm. if you change a little, you change a lot if you do it relentlessly. Hmm. The trouble is people don't have the patience to stick at it. Could you tell us what the flywheel is for, for hire? Is that the secret sauce or is that, are you able to share that? I think it's like the flywheel is like if, um, it's, it's basically because you do one thing, it it gives you the energy to do another thing. Right. And then then that gives you, 
and it gives you to the energy to the next thing and gives sure. you the energy to the next thing. And then lo and behold, because because you do all those things, you suddenly have more money to be able to do the yes. thing. So you can get yes. even more. It's a self-propelling, right. So it's a self-propelling wheel. Yeah. And, and, and she's go, it's such a simple yet brilliant thing. And actually Amazon, you know, when they were in trouble, yeah. like Mr. Collins went to them and he went, hey, maybe you should do this. And, and they, they have their own flywheel now. And, 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 they, and their flywheel is to be, you know, lower priced. Yeah. And yeah. And everything works with each other. Prime works with AWS, works yeah. with the books, works with retail, works with groceries. It just all forms part of this amazing, amazing flywheel, which ultimately delivers amazing value to the consumer, to us, yeah. Yeah, uh, which is why they're the most valuable company in the world. Yeah. Makes a huge amount of sense. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about building community because you've built a really highly engaged community what kevin kelly calls a thousand true fans if you can get a thousand people uh fans this was in in his music analogy if you can get a thousand fans paying you pretty consistently you you can build a pretty successful business off the back of that what are the principles of building a strong community that you can build that can ultimately build your brand well, I mean, I mean, a lot of this stuff can be reduced down to really simple ways of thinking. And and if you think about like, oh, you'll have a dinner party, and so, um, and you have a dinner party, you go, well, okay, uh, um, like, how could you bring value if you went to a dinner party? And and so, so one way is to maybe turn up on time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and you go, oh, is that value? Well, it is actually quite valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another thing is you could bring a bottle of wine or maybe some mm-hmm. flowers for you know the hostess or uh, that that's actually really quite nice. But um, but we've all been at those dinner party where one person literally talks the entire time. And 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 actually the one thing in common with those people is they only talk about themselves. Mm-hmm. And so. Another way to bring value at a dinner party is to listen. Hmm. And and people go, oh, is that really powerful? Hmm. I go, well, a lot of people are always talking and they're always on transmit and they're never on receive. So if you want to go and build a community, one of the things that you can do and it's free is listen. Hmm. And you just go, and, and, and the, the great thing is because most brands are not listening is you will stand out just by going i hear you yeah okay we'll try and fix that uh, and and so a lot of this stuff is just can be reduced down to being a good human being mm-hmm. and, and so like building community is just well a, a big part of it is listening uh, and and a, another part of it is, is giving like you know passion the passion for your subject is leadership mm-hmm. and, and and that draws your people in and so one to thousand true fans is, is really like an economic model that, you know, it's, it's really about like the economics of it, but, but community is really about you being human. And, and I think that's a really interesting thing. And, and most brands are, are, are just trying to tell people how smart they are, how clever they are, how important mm. they are. And, and you go like, stop it. Like just, mm. For once, just go. Maybe there's some human beings on the other side. If you, you know, for us, one thing I say to the team is going to like remember there's a human being on the other side of the email you're going to send. Mm. Now, like, have you done something to inspire them or help them or give them value? That's community. You don't always have to sell. You know, you can you can just say how are you doing? How was your week? And people just go, oh my God, like most brands don't ask that. Most brands are just talking about themselves. Sure. Super fascinating. Super fascinating. You you also say it's important to define your enemy. Uh, it doesn't have to be another company. It can be bad design, yeah. time, pollution, e- equality, etc. Why is that so important to define your enemy? And, and who is Hyatt's enemy? Well, I mean, you know, it's... It, I think it's kind of interesting because people always go, oh, yeah, we're up against Nike or whatever. And you're going, the people I've met from Nike almost never talked about Adidas. Mm. Interesting. Almost, 
uh, you know, and and you go, but Adidas always talked about Nike, huh. and and so so I'm there going, oh, that's pretty interesting. And for me, like having or describing and understanding who the enemy is. So it could be if you want to, you know, be good to the environment, the enemy could be landfill. And mm. and and the thing is, if you make inferior product, like you're going to be in that landfill a lot. So the enemy has to be bad design or mm. cheap um, cheap denim or wh- whatever it is. So so I just think it makes you much more interesting when you sort of define the enemy not as another brand but as something you're against. You know, Patagonia for me one of the most interesting companies in the world is they're trying to inform their people to be better informed about the environment. Hmm. And, and one of their enemies is pollution hmm. and the chemicals that you know, we're using to make things or produce things. And so I think that's pretty good. I think Apple were most interesting back in the day when actually sure. the, the enemy was complexity. Sure. And what they were fighting on behalf of was simplicity. And we all wanted them to win because we all wanted mm-hmm. those darn computers to be so simple that a human being could um, um, operate one and not just mm-hmm. a geek. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I just think that gives you, you know, like it, it, in a way it, it describes your values. I mean, always, I think like what you're against tells you also what you're for. What you're for. And mm. if you think about it, if you if you ever want to find out like from someone what their values are, you just have to ask them this question is and that is, you know, why is your best friend your best friend? Interesting the, question. That answer will tell you all their values. They value honesty. Okay, got it. Trust, I got it. Integrity, I got it. And so, you know, like and you know, like for a brand, having a great enemy tells you what they're for. Sure. Sure. Super fascinating. Your your book is also full of intentional contradictions, I would say. Things like the digital world, and then on the next page you talk about the analog world. On one page you say speed matters, and then then on the next page you say patience matters. Building yeah, yeah. a great company takes time. Why do you do that sort of contradiction, uh, and which one is right? Yeah. Well, I think, I think, I mean, you know, it's it's an interesting question because I think it's you know a lot of what you do is you know, like contradicts what you do. Do you mean so? Mm. Uh, I love the fact that somebody's built these incredible motorways in the sky. I, I do actually think you know these tools are you know century defining. You know the Instagrams, the Facebooks, and you know, and all of them are amazing. Twitter, um, but at the same time, it makes me appreciate slow and analog and paper. So, so I kind of love, I, I, you know, I'm both Luddite and geek. <laughs> and, and I think actually we're all slightly full of shit. Sure. And, things. And, and, and I think it's okay. Do you mean, I, I'm there going, I love aspects of this new modern tech world, but I still love picking up a catalog and I love mm. smelling it and I love holding it and I love paper. Mm. And, and so we are full of those contradictions. You know, mm. we want a quiet life, but we want our book tomorrow. <laughs> and, and so, and and I think we are full of that. And and I think, but I think um, everyone wants to hide amongst this thing of being the perfect you know, being. Sure. And and we're not perfect. None of mm. us are perfect. We're all full of contradictions, and it's mm. okay. Mm. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. You you make a really great case for diversity as well in your books. Although I probably think it's not an intentional one, but. Let's let's see. You say that quote. If you reference, if your reference points are different to others, then guess what? Your ideas are going to be different as well. To think different, do different, read different, travel different, eat different. That's probably the best reason to have, in my opinion, a diverse workforce. Yes. Discuss. No, I think. Um, I mean, I was very lucky to when I was twenty-one. Um, you know, to be in a creative department that really didn't care about qualifications, mm. didn't care what school 
you went to and actually if you went to school at all and they definitely didn't care about what race you were all mm. they cared about were could you have an idea mm. and i do love creativity for that i mean it's it's beyond anything it, the only thing that matters mm. for that advertising department is is your idea original and I kind of love that. For me, mm. the, you know, if you think about ideas, um, they are really a series. Your outputs are really coming from your inputs. And, and what ideas are is a collision of, um, you know, you've seen a Polish film, you know, subtitled, and guess what? You were, there was only three people in the cinema. And some topography you've seen from a book that was, Two ninety nine in a secondhand bookstore, hmm. and and what you did was put two things together that no one else did, and that's what ideas does. So, but if you're putting things together that everybody else has seen, all the cool pack will always go to the same museums or you know read from the same books. Ultimately, you're going to produce things very that's similar the same. to that. <laughs> yeah, and, and so so you know I think hmm. the you know like when we're diverse thinkers is because we're diverse researchers, because we're diverse inputters. And and the thing is, I, I love it when we hire somebody you know, where they have a, an interest that I'm going, cheese making, wow, okay, that's pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. I have no clue about that. But you need those people, you know, like if you think about Velcro, it, mm -hmm. it, it works by you know, having this hook and clasp and and you know you you need lots of different hooks in there, and there's thousands and thousands of them in there to clasp onto the you know the clasp, and and so you need the diversity in order to do something that no one else mm. has done, and and mm. and so you know go and you know you've got to if everyone is reading a certain book, don't read it. Super go, fascinating. Go, go and yeah. go and read the book that they aren't reading, and go and ask the question that they're not asking. Hmm. Yeah. And and then, you know, like I love you know the, talking about that Amazon thing. I was listening to somebody at five o'clock this morning, um, and, and he was just going, you know, like rather than asking the question, "What's going to change?" He's going, "What's going to stay the same?" Yeah, that's what Jeff Bezos says. Yeah. Yeah, and and yeah. and I, I, I'm Human like going, nature. Oh, it's like, oh, is purpose going to be a year in a hundred years? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Probably, yeah, <laughs> I think so. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. David, I could speak to you all day. I've got a million questions we didn't get time to get to. Um, but last question before we get into our favorite questions towards the back end of the interview. Um, you say that failure to commit is almost as bad as failure to start. Uh, in football terms, this is the equivalent of not fully committing to a tackle. And when you're half-hearted in a tackle, you're much more likely to get injured. Discuss. Well, I mean, I think it's, I think sometimes people play at things and they waste an awful lot of time because they're, they're half interested, half committed. And, you know, if you're going to fall in love, you can't half fall in love you can't half get married sure. and you can't half have babies sure. you can but it doesn't really end that well <laughs> and so i would imagine i mean actually on friday is our 27th um uh, anniversary so I, i'm there going if if you want to succeed at anything it will come out of focus and it's going to come out of passion some may call that obsession but you have to, and because you're so into something, because you're so passionate about it, because you care so much about this thing, is you learn how to do it better than anyone else. But that comes out of that being 100% committed to it. And, and I would say to founders, if you are half committed to something, you're almost guaranteed to fail. Hmm. Because to be better than those people who really care about it is you're not going to do it that way and you're going to waste a lot of money and you're going to waste five years of your life doing something that you are half interested in and it's a recipe for absolute misery not just just failure because failure you can deal with but just like why would you spend five years not actually you know like 
going at it with everything you've got. Hmm. And and in terms of football, is you know, I'm a Liverpool fan, which is obviously good this year. Oh, but it's great, it has, great for you. Yeah, but it hasn't been that good. Well, it's had some moments over the last 30 years, but it's been a bit sure. barren. But you know, there's a player there who's very unsung, you know, Andy Robertson. Hmm. There isn't anything that he doesn't leave anything. You know, he gives everything. He might not be the most talented. He yeah. might be not the most gifted, but he doesn't leave anything on the park. Yeah. And and I think, mm-hmm. you know, like there are those people out there who are super talented, they're super clever. And for the rest of our, us mortals is we just have to, one thing we can give it is a lot of passion, obsession, and focus. Focus is the multiplier. And it opens everything up. And, and, and you just got to go, you know, like, you know, people... You know, I'm sort of interested in in how you deal with knowledge right now. That, that's one of my interests because I'm trying to teach the peel, you know, the team, going like actually we're going to go and grow, and actually I want us to manage our growth not by being working longer, but actually just getting better systems. And and you know we are you know learning stuff every day. Now, if we go and read a book, and we've all done this, is um, you know, you go and read it, and then a month later, you can't actually remember the, the concept. Sure. Yeah. And, and so, so we're teaching the team systems. You know, like you know, um, you know, and we're 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 very good at training people and spending money on them. And so, you know, one of the courses we sent them on was Tiago Forte's um, thing about the second brain. And and this is a really interesting thing. And and I I love I love that thing of going. Wow! If you're going to be good at this, get really good at it. Hmm. And and his thing is, you know, you know, progressive summarization. Basically, you make notes on the book, you scribble on the book, you you outline the book, you you listen it to Audible, you you then go That's and it. write out cards to it, and then you go like, you know this book? Oh yeah, no, I know yeah. this book. <laughs> and now and now I'm going to go and put that book into the thing because so many people read the book. And, and put it down it. like, yeah, I've read it now. Yeah. I can be oh, done. Yeah. But you actually forget, you actually forget the vast majority of it. Oh, and then you come, you come back a year later and it's like, what was that book about again? <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's mad. It's absolutely mad. I, so I've stopped doing that now. My, my strategy around this, I don't know whether this relates to uh, the guy that you just mentioned, but what I do is that I, I have a little sort of notebook and whenever yeah. I, something strikes me in a book, I write it down in that notebook. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. So, Every week, 10 days, two weeks, I revisit that book of like, yeah, so it's brilliant. like my super curated, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, best bits of all the books that I've read. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, no, that is, I mean, that you've got to have a system because yeah. you know, we're, we're getting this knowledge thrown at us every day. Mm. And you're going like, like, and there's gold there. There's gold there everywhere. Yeah. And you go, but the problem is, we read the gold and then we forget the gold. We forget it, yeah. And you go, well, it's not going to actually help you then, isn't it? And 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 so if you're going to go and do something, do it like incredibly well. Yeah. And 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 I think that thing of, you know, it's not just ten thousand hours; it's about ten thousand hours of focus and mm. and making notes because <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that that separates you from everyone else. Everyone else is like, oh, you know, they're. they're they're reading a book and then they can't remember it. And you go, that's going to allow you to win, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Because you're not going to do that because you've gone to another level. Yeah. Absolutely. I could speak to you all day, but I know we're running out of time. So let's get into our favorite questions now. These are the questions that I ask all of my okay. guests. So I'm super excited to ask you some of them as well. Um, tell us about a time when you failed and what you learned from the experience. Oh gosh, I've done a fair bit of it. Um, I'll tell you one uh, point that I failed, and it was you sort of kick yourself because you forget all your rules. And so after we'd sold Howie's, we had a you know a little pot of money, uh, and we had also we were um, not able to do anything that we had done before uh, for about a year. And so um, yeah, um, a, a local um, yeah, entrepreneur came to me and said, do you want to start a pub? I'm going, no, I don't <laughs> never want to start a pub. I, I, and I said, look, Tomas, 
my investment in a pub is on a Friday between uh, <laughs> six p.m. and seven thirty p.m. Yeah. Sometimes that investment's not very good. Very good. <laughs> um, so the ROI anyway, isn't great. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, um, I I put uh, ten grand in, and, and then all of a sudden I ended up putting more money in and more money, and this thing was like a a sinkhole. And actually, what I learned was um, you have to. You know, you have to, as a founder, be there for every detail. And, and you know, being like a sleeping partner for me was not, you know, the thing I should have done. And, 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 and also, I was like, and actually, when you look at the economics, you go, this thing's terrible. Hmm. Um, and even with good management, you know, you know, when something has poor economics, Mm. It's always the business with poor economics that wins, not the good manager. Mm. And so I learned that you go, you you should stick to what you know. And and if you're going to start something, you have to be all in. Sure. Otherwise, otherwise it's just miserable. And I remember like, you know, um, because you know, my partner sort of, you know, you know, you know, sort of opted out and I was left with this pub that I never wanted to start in the first place. Interesting. Isn't that and fascinating? I, and I, I had to close it in there and I just could not make it work. And I really wanted to do something in the town. You know, I was only really doing it for the town. And and I was pushing the fridge out of the um you know the basement and it wouldn't get, go out of the basement. I couldn't even close it properly. And I was I was pushing this fridge out the door and they had wheels on and it the wheels meant that it wouldn't get through the door, and I had a, and then this guy in his Porsche Cayenne stopped and put his head around the corner. And I went, "Are you open tonight?" <laughs> and I'm going, "No, not tonight, mate." And uh, we just won awards. You know, we were one of the you know yeah. eight, eight new pubs in Britain to be awarded this thing, and I, and right. I just went, and I couldn't get the wheels off thing. I couldn't even close it properly. Amazing. Oh. Okay, yeah, that's that's a good answer. Um, I'm I'm going to enjoy these questions. Then tell us about some of your. This is the mentors question. So tell us about some of your early mentors. Who influenced the way that you think about building brands, entrepreneurship? Uh, yeah, all of the stuff that you're doing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, um, I think if if you're lucky in you know, in you can choose a really great boss. Um, I think that's really important because, like your formative years, you know, when you're, you know, you know like, and for me, you know, twenty one, mm. you know, I was in Saatchi and Saatchi, and I had this boss, and he was crazy, <laughs> but it, like in a brilliant way. Doing, um, and crazy. And, his, and his name was Paul Arden, and he was. He was exceptional. I mean, he was a real maverick, and 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 that's why I say choose your boss carefully because what you don't want to you know learn is bad habits, and and so um by bad habits is like average thinking, um average ambition. You don't want to learn things like that. You want to learn, hey, this is a no compromise place. This is you know I think there's more of a great idea over there than here. This is about strategy. And having someone like Paul Arden was incredible. And he was a hard boss. I mean, um, and uh, there were times where I was just going, oh my God, this is like so hard. I mean, everything we did, it like, wasn't good enough. But it, what he was teaching us was there's another level. And, and, and that was really interesting because it was all about the idea and you go and you can push you can push harder you can push further you know there's another idea you you've got it in you you just got to keep you don't settle for the first idea don't settle for the second don't settle for the third there's another idea and it's your best idea and i learned that thing of the quest to push and and then yeah. i had another boss called david abbott who started an agency called abbott Mead vickers and yeah i learned from him was actually um the importance of building a team and 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 a safe space to do the best work you've ever done and and it was all you know and you still pushed yourself because he would only hire self-motivated people so the comfort zone wasn't a scary zone because 
but he just provided a safe space to do the best work. And I'm going, and I learned from him where I'm going, wow, I, I've got to create a safe space for my people. Absolutely fascinating. What amazing mentors, Paul Arden and David Abbott, to have formative years of sort of 21. I had no idea Paul Arden was, um, you worked with Paul Arden at Such and Suchy. Oh, Absolutely fascinating. I mean, it's like, I mean, it literally, I mean, there were times where you, you just be going, oh my God. I mean, like, and he was like, he was such an interesting human being. Yeah. I mean, like, but difficult sod as well. I mean, like, <laughs> give us, God. give us an example. Like, well, I mean, what it, brings like, to um, mind? It's, um, I think it's that if we worked with him very closely, we were very lucky. I think I, I didn't realize it at the time, but we were like maybe his blue eyed boys type thing. But, um, you know, there was, he, he'd done something. I can't remember what he'd done now, but he'd annoyed me. And so I walked past him and I didn't say goodnight to him. Like a year <laughs> later, like he said, you didn't say goodnight to me that night. <laughs> I'm going, Wow, what? Okay. what? <laughs> yeah. Did you even remember it? Like, <laughs> okay, no, no. There's so many things I could have. Been... <laughs> yeah, but um, but he was like that. He That's was very. Amazing. He was deeply, like he would. It was emotional. He was very emotional, and it was deeply personal to him. Everything was deeply personal to him. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, like, um, and I remember, like, I wrote a, a line for um, a tagline for a whiskey, and it was a Scottish. Yeah, uh, malt whiskey, and I wrote, wrote this thing, and it was like it was weathered in these storms up in the far north of uh, Scotland, and it was a it was a tough place to live. It was a tough island, and, and I wrote this line. It says, "It's a beautiful whiskey from a bastard of an island," hmm. and uh, and he went, Oof, "Did you write that?" And I went, "Yeah." He said, "I love it. It lose it's going to lose the account, but I do like it." Oh my gosh. <laughs> And, but he didn't stop me from presenting this. Yeah. And we, and we did. Really? Yeah. You lost the client. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he's just going to he'll lose the client, but it's worth it. And he allowed you to do that. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. But that was him. It was no compromise. I mean, and he'd, he literally, <laughs> one more story is we were on the verge of losing you know, the British rail uh, client. And they were in reception, and this was the last pitch. We'd done two. They hadn't been happy. This was the last final pitch to save the account. And he had all the work. He got the account people to put the work into his um, uh, office, and he said, just give me five minutes to go through the work. And he put his knee through every board. What? And, and he said, if we lose the account, it's not by doing bad work. <gasps> And the account people had to go and explain uh, oh <laughs> to British Rail that they'd have to come back in a week's time because the work wasn't good enough. Oh, my God. And, but in a week's time, the work was good enough it and we kept the account. But he was, a, he was a, you know, a, he was, I mean, exasperating and yet much missed and much needed in the world where it's mostly about a compromise and he wouldn't compromise. And, 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 you know, and, and that was, you know, you know, that was sometimes made it very difficult for him. Do you mean? Well, brilliant. I really do think about him a lot and I know pretty much anybody and everybody who worked with him thinks about him a lot. So. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. Thank you for sharing those stories. The, the books question, tell us about some of your favorite books, fiction, nonfiction, uh, marketing related, advertising, whatever. Um, well, like, here's my weakness is I haven't read enough fiction because I've been so obsessed about business and stuff. And what I've done recently is I've gone and um, uh, taken all my business books out of my bedroom and, and now I only read fiction in the bedroom. <laughs> um, so, but in terms of business, I mean, I mean, there, there are many great books, but I mean, if you want one about purpose, I mean, obviously, you know, I, I should say I, I've written one, but you know, like, and it's pretty good. Um, but it's, there, it's all right. Yeah. yeah but I, I think, um, but if you look at Yvonne Chenard's book, let my people go surfing, Okay. That's a yeah. that's an extraordinary book. Yeah. Patagonia. Um, 
Patagonia and that thing of building teams um, is brilliant. Uh, and you know, there's so many great books. You know, actually, you know, the, the you know, Jim Collins, The Flywheel yeah. is an extraordinary book. Mm. Um, the, the only thing I would say to people is like reread the important books mm. because you think you've learned it once. No, no, no. You, no. You're going to learn it on another level in the second time. So, so whichever book is important to you, go and reread it. Which um, books have you reread? Well, I mean, a number of them. I mean, you know, actually I've read, reread, you know, It's Good to Great. I mean, I mm-hmm. reread read Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence mm-hmm. People because it's actually ex- extraordinarily well-researched. Huh. And you suddenly go, wow. Um, but the thing is, you know, there, there's you know i'm i'm sort of doing a project with the team and is i want to try and choose 12 books and we all throughout the year we all read that you know book you know, we all read all 12 of them throughout the year but at the end of each month we all have to tell people about what we've learned sure. from the book sure. and and so i think i think that it's you know we all have our personal favorite books but like go and reread the important books to you and because they are out there and you think you know them, but then you can know them on another level next time. Mm. Amazon Prime or, or Netflix, what are you watching or streaming these days that's good? Oh, God. I tell you, well, on um, the whole family watched uh, the Michael Jordan uh, Okay, Last Dance. Yeah, so yeah. good. And, uh, which was so good. And I'd... I'd read the book about the, the, the coach before. I think it's called 11 Rings. Phil, Phil, um, Jackson. Phil Jackson, 11 Rings. That's an extraordinary book because he talks about how to build a team. And yeah. and and actually, that's a really good book. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, so Netflix, you know, I thought that was pretty excellent, actually. Yeah. Um, so- Love that. Again, well researched, very well, because it goes back and forth throughout time really well, while yeah, yeah, yeah. still telling a, a coherent story. I thought it was really well done. Oh no! And the thing is, you know, what you get from that is, if you want to be that good, mm, you have yeah. to you have to practice that hard. And, <laughs> and also, it. it's like like you can't have a team full of Michael Jordans. Yeah. And so, and Michael, the most important member of a team is the captain. You know, people from a football point of view is, oh, they look at, um, oh, when Alex Ferguson went, um, yeah, everything changed. No, no. When, you know, Roy Keane went, everything uh, changed. You think so? That, yeah, yeah. You think that was a bigger impact than oh, Ferguson yeah. leaving? Yeah, because that captain is the person who will not put up with average. And if you look at all the... There's a book, actually, another book, a great captain class. Yeah. They kind of do all the research, and you can, it's when captains leave makes the biggest change. Fascinating. I never thought of that. But it makes complete sense. Knowing who Roy Keane is now, today, and commentary after, it makes complete sense. Yeah, you wouldn't want to be in that change room and not played very well. Not at all. Because you're (laughs) absolutely going to get a roast in. So final question about the last dance. Did you come away from that with a better impression of Michael Jordan or a worse impression of him? Because it's from what I'm reading and hearing, it's gone either way. Well, the, the, when you when you are prepared to be that good at something and train that hard for something, is there are going to be some casualties. Hmm. and And so... You know, there's going to be times where perhaps you weren't the nicest person in the world, and it's hard, right? I mean, but like, I pretty like everybody who was on that team, like, they probably didn't always love Michael Jordan because he was probably tough on them. But there isn't a single person on that team who wasn't better as a player because of him. Because of him. And so, so, and, and you know, like, to, like tell you a story which isn't you know i'm not proud of it is but when i resigned eventually at howie's like um you know 51 percent of the people you know at howie's were actually delighted i was leaving because i was pushing pretty hard 
And 49% of the people like were gutted because I was leaving because they wanted to be pushed hard. Hmm. And, and, and so there's always going to be that tension of some people are happy to just play their game and play within themselves and not push that hard. And then some people just go, I think there's another level. Hmm. And, and, and it's hard to some, for some people, they don't want to go to that next level because they know the cost of going to that next level. And, and, and so I, I, you know, I kind of knew some of the backstory anyway. So I, I kind of, um, I, I, I think um, he was an extremely incredible athlete. Hmm. Um, he, he probably wasn't always the nicest human being. Hmm. He's your Cristiano Ronaldo to your, to your Messi. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> football analogies all day today. Uh, last couple of questions and then I'll, I'll, I'll let you go. What advice would you give to a young person or millennial who comes to you and says, they want to build a world-class brand. I would tell them that you can do it, but you can't do it in three years. Mm. And you can probably do it in 10. And I would just tell them, look, if you have uh, an incredible desire to do this, brilliant, and you have some talent to do it, yes. But if you have patience, you will, you, know, you will turn up each day and push hard. But you're not going to do it in three years and, and, and don't get fast money. Mm. Go and find the slowest money you can. Mm. Great advice. And my final question, David, what is it you know about brand building today and building a purpose orientated brand today that you wish you knew at the beginning of your career? Well, I think the job of a brand really is to make you feel something. And you know, I guess what I didn't realize is, you know, we're all emotional critters. And so your job as a brand builder is to make them feel something. Hmm. Not just buy something. Anyone can do that once. But, you know, like the reason Nike beat Adidas is Nike made you feel something. And Adidas didn't. And I, I and I, I'm a big Adidas fan, by the way. So <laughs> I don't I don't say that lightly. Like Nike made you feel something. They went to the heart, and Adidas went to the head, and the heart mm. always wins. Super fascinating, David. Thank you so much for for doing this. Pleasure. I just enjoyed it. I'm surprised it was an hour. <laughs> we have been speaking with David Hyatt. He is currently the founder and CEO of Hyatt Denim. If you enjoyed this conversation, then head over to Apple iTunes where you can listen to 86 such conversations we've had now with world-class sales and marketing professionals. We would be unable to do this show without our very own deal masters. Ahmed Ahmed is our editor. Genevieve Megeki is our social manager. Marian Begum is our head of research. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Agency Deal Masters. Mm-hmm.